0: hey it's so good to be with you guys today and i'm really excited to share what i've been studying all week to prepare for today on this week's message our second uh uh, week of how do i know before i do i want to share two quick uh, uh announcements and some good news number one is that this past Wednesday, um, we had a workday Wednesday, and it went so well, we had about 15 people show up, and we got about 15 gallons of paint on the wall. Come on, it was great. We had great fellowship, and we had a great... Uh, time together, and it—we're uh, doing everything we can to be good stewards of our new church home to reduce the price. As we also uh, uh, believe and give, uh, don't forget about the—you know—buy your seat option. My wife and I were pumped that this past week we we were able to personally contribute to two more rows of seats. And come on, we're in it with y'all. Come on, we believe in this. There's nothing we believe in more because we know that God wants to touch people and He uses church he uses the local church that's mobilized to touch people we're honored to be one of the churches in our area who are touching people and we're grateful for all the other churches too they're my friends and so i'm just thankful for the local church put your hands together for the power of the local church which god mobilizes and it went so well that um, we're going to do that ongoing for the, for the foreseeable future so that we can continue to make an impact on our new church home. So any Wednesday that you're available between 6 and 9 or any measure of that time, you can come out and help us paint. We would love to get you involved. Probably our favorite part was just seeing those who were able to come out just to say, wow, as they looked around and then they got to make an impact. Could you put your hands together for those who were able to make it this past Wednesday? We're grateful if you couldn't. Or normally Wednesday's bad and it gets freed up for some reason, come join us. We'd love to show you around, and then um, we're grateful for any impact you can make. Also, we'll put on the calendar on March 25th, we're going to have a serve Saturday. So if Wednesday's not convenient, from 9 to 12 on Saturday, March 25th, we're giving you early notice. If you can mark down your calendar, maybe uh, Saturday morning's more convenient, would you come out? and help us make a difference on that new church home the second thing i want to say is come on y'all easter is only five weeks away it's only five weeks away and statistically it never gets any easier than easter your friends will statistically say yes to easter so your family and friends start thinking about inviting them I don't know if you've noticed, over the last two and a half months, we've seen a 20% increase in the amount of people coming, and come on, people are giving their life to Christ. I'm happy to report my other church friend, uh, lead pastors of other churches all throughout the nation are seeing something similar happening. I think there's stirrings of revival. Come on, all. Come on. So I believe it. We're so grateful. If you're new here, we're grateful to have you in the house, and we're honored to uh, for you to call this your church home. Um, we've had our highest non-holiday attendance in the um, last uh, six weeks, and so last year was our highest ever. We had 888 people at Easter, double-digit salvations. It was awesome, and we had two experiences. Now, Uh, You don't have to be a math major to know there's 444 seats in here. If we reached 888, that means praise God for the kids' ministry or else there wouldn't have been any open seats. And so we're making room this year because we've grown a little since then and we're going to have, we've worked it out with Regal to have three experiences on that Easter. So mark your calendar. We're making room for your friends and your family, 8.30, 10, and 11.30, and it's going to be exciting. Now... I have a favor to ask of the 10:15 experience and that is this. 10 will be our highest most attended time and that will also be the most likely time for a new visitor to come. And so here's what I'm asking you to do me a favor. Will you consider on Easter Sunday coming to the 8:30 or the 11:30 experience to make room for people who are far from God to have a seat in the house and hear the greatest story ever told? Will you help me with that? Come on, thank you so much, and I know it might be a little inconvenient. Actually, going to a growing church is inconvenient because your prayers, we need them. Come on, your giving is mattering, and we're making room for people who are far from God to get closer to God. Here's my suggestion. Would you also consider not just coming today, 30 or the, uh, 1130, but serving at the 10 a.m.? Because that's going to be a great opportunity to make an impact on people who maybe haven't been to church ever. Or maybe they come once a year. And this is a great opportunity to be the hands and feet of Christ. So if you'll consider serving, maybe there's time to join the Dream Team. You'll hear about that in the announcements with the Next Step Express. We need your help. To love on your friends and family. So, if you'll do that, let me hear you say, "I'm going to do that." All right, come on. That was uh, your words, not me. Come on, that was you. <laughs> awesome. Let's jump in. Oh, by the way, please be praying for me. I got an invite to preach on WBOC's Easter special, which is going to be. Come on, I think it's because Lift Church is so amazing. I truly believe it is, and um, it's going to air on five local networks, the ABC, I'm sorry, CBS, NBC, Fox, DSN, and Telemundo, baby. I told them I'm going to speak in tongues, and it will come out in Spanish, and they didn't believe me, and I didn't believe myself, but I told them that anyway. So, (laughs) So anyway... I'm actually recording that Friday at 2 p.m. So if you're an intercessor for Lift Church or for me, would you pray for me this Friday? We're recording that, and that will air on Easter Sunday every hour on the hour on one of those networks. Come on. It's a great honor, Lift Church. It's a great honor to be impacting and making a difference in the name of Jesus. Well, today's message is loaded, and I don't have enough time to share everything I want to share, but today's topic is how do I know evolution is wrong. Last week, I encourage you to go to our YouTube channel uh, or anywhere where you consume podcasts and watch and share uh, last week's message where I preached, how do I know God exists? And I gave 10 reasons why without even using the Bible, we know God exists. And then I backed it up with scriptural references. Today, I'm going to preach a message How do I know evolution is wrong? And I wasn't going to preach this message. Honestly, this is a less convenient message for me because I am not naturally a scientist. (laughs) Okay? Um, In all my schooling, I ran from science. I was good at math, and, and God has used me to be good at ministry. So about the only science I was decent at was chemistry because you were really just doing math in there come on how many neutrons and electrons come on baby I don't I don't remember it anymore I just know that it was math based and I said I can handle this everything else I struggle with but I praise God for people who have science minded minds because you guys keep us alive (laughs) you guys bless us with your research and what you know and you know oftentimes we can think science is in opposition with Christianity, and the Bible, and I'm going to show you today that science is actually affirming it, not, not creating a wider gap, but it's affirming it. So I wasn't going to preach it, um, and I actually want to say this. Um, here's why I haven't really studied it before. To, recently, I've been preparing for months for this message, but here's why I hadn't, and, and maybe this is where some of you are at. You will never be able to find every answer you want when it comes to faith. There are measures of our faith where you're going to have to have faith. Hebrews 11.6 says this, It is impossible to please God without faith. And anyone who wants to come to him, anybody want to come to him up in this place, come on, must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. In other words, it's awesome to get our questions answered. But there are some things in this side of earth that you might not get your questions answered. And my faith is secure in saying, I believe in that and God will answer it one day. Today, I'm going to bring a lot of rationale and a a lot of logic and a lot of science to help you if you're like, yeah, but I need a little bit of help with my faith. Okay, that's okay. I will help you. I just want to let you know that if today I answer your question, tomorrow you might have more. And it is impossible to please God without faith. In fact, Jesus said it this way one time. He said, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? In another place, he said, you believed in me because I did signs and wonders. Praise the one who doesn't need a sign or wonder to believe in me, who believes just in my word and trusts me. And so maybe if you're not there yet, that's okay. Come on, come along with the journey. I'm just telling you, even if I answer it today, you're going to need to lean into faith because it's impossible to please him without faith. Can I get an amen? But... For those who like science and are way better at it than me, <laughs> and for those who like answers and studying this, I was inspired by two people, and they're going to put a QR code up on on uh, 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 the screen right now. Pastor Jim White uh, pastors a church called Mecklenburg Church, and he's doing a series called Primordial. So you can go to slash creation and we've linked to that series. He breaks down all of the creation days. He's an apologetic pastor. And by apologetic, that word is fancy for saying a defender of the faith. So he's a defender of the faith who knows how to put it in words we can all understand. I also was inspired by Hugh Ross, who is a physicist and astrophysicist, Christian apologetic. So he's a scientist. Who defends the faith and puts it in words I don't always understand. <laughs> I'm just keeping it real. So some of y'all are like, hey, I want to dive deeper. Here's a site that you could take it beyond today's message because I only got 19 minutes and 49 seconds to share with you why I believe evolution is not right. So I am not a physicist or astrophysicist or scientist. I can't even say physicist. As a physicist. But I am a pastor, and I want to lead you to lean into your faith and trust it. And so I'm going to use a video or two from Hugh Ross because he can say it more scientifically. Let me start by saying this. Dr. George Ross once said, It really does matter and matter very much how we think about the cosmos. It matters so much because the way you believe it originates decides your philosophy in life your worldview, and even filters all the way down to your daily actions if we're here merely by chance and accident then what purpose does your life really have you might as well just live it up but if there is an almighty creator who created me intentionally and with a purpose well then that changes everything and so it matters how you believe the cosmos got here and 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 so i wrote it down this way that Creation elicits a relationship with God. That's why God put it up there. And I'm going to try to convince you the rest of the time. That's why he put it there. Creation elicits a relationship with God. Evolution seeks to eliminate and erase God. Creationism, when you look at the stars in the sky and the sun and the moon, come on, it, it actually makes you want to seek something further and seek God. Evolution tries to eliminate it, it was all by chance and accident. Whoa, aren't we lucky? Come on, today I want you to lean into creation. I want to show you how the creation story holds water even in light of modern science. And I can't go through all the creation days, but go in your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. I'll be in the New Living Translation, and I'm going to break down about three days and help you see how science proves more in creation than evolution. Genesis 1, verse 5. The first day. It says, God called the light day. Everyone say day. Day. And he called the darkness night. Everyone say night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Say day. Was a day a day in Genesis chapter 1? Was a day the length of a day that we define a day today? Oh, come on, I like that. Look, I, I just tried to throw it all together. It came out nice. Actually, the Hebrew language is, is not very exhaustive, and it was written in Hebrew, um, and our English language is a little more, uh, is, is a, a lot bigger, but the word day in Genesis 1 is the Hebrew word Yom. So when it was originally written, two times we saw in Genesis 1:5, 5 we, we would see the word yom in the original language. The word yom has four different meanings applied in our Bible. This is what those different meanings are. It can mean, number one, daytime like versus nighttime. That was the first usage of the word. It says God created day and he created night. He was differentiating there's a bright time and there's a dark time. He was not saying 11.59 p.m. is day. He was saying when the sun's up, when the light's out. Here's a second meaning. 24-hour day. In other words, how we commonly use the word 24 hours of day. But here's my pushback of, was a day a 24-hour day in Genesis chapter 1? I don't believe so. Here's one reason why. If it was a 24-hour day, then the Bible would mean the earth started 6,000 years ago. That's it. So what do we do with carbon dating? What do we do with scientists saying... Uh, That the Big Bang happened 14 billion years ago and we can prove it. How do we see lights who's billions of years away in light years? So how in the world is the light even visible to us if the world is only 6,000 years old? And it makes Christians seem either crazy or just negligent. Like, I choose to ignore all that. That's not all true. Scientists have proven a lot of these things to be true. In fact, when the Hubble telescope came out in the early 90s, one scientist said we have truly seen God. We've seen the handiwork of God. And and, and so um, if it's 24 hours, it leaves us feeling a little bit crazy about the Genesis 1 creation story. This is where a lot of atheists like to try to attack or evolutionists. Here's the third meaning of the word yom. Days, as in a lifetime. Genesis 26 verse 1 says, in Abraham's day, and it describes things. First and second, Samuel said, in King David's day, it described a lifetime, a period of time. It wasn't meaning in King David's day, I'm referring to February 17th from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. It's referring to a lifetime. It's a period of time. A measure of time. There's a definitive beginning and end, but it describes a larger amount of time. And the fourth meaning of yom is a time period or era. We still use this terminology today. We say in grandpa's day, we used to have to walk to school in the snow uphill. And when school was let out, we walked back home uphill in the snow. That was grandpa's day. Now, we're referring to who knows how long but it just helps us mark an era a period a generation or more and we still use terminology like this today that uh, um, that I believe Genesis 1 is referring to this fourth definition of who knows how long it is it could be a thousand years could be 10,000 years could be a hundred thousand years because by the way if it was a 24-hour day God didn't even let the Sun and the moon appear until day four. So in Genesis one, I don't believe he's talking about a 24 hour day. We don't know how long the era was, but that leaves all kinds of space in the first six creation days, because what could have happened in day six? Could that be such a long era that it allows for the ice age? Could it be such a long era that it allowed for dinosaurs to be created and go extinct before a human being was ever created? It does. It allows room for things that we um, are still discovering today. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. But i got to move on. Let's move on to day two. God created the sky. And day three, let's lean into this one. Genesis 1 verse 9 says, Then God said, Let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so that dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. So creation is telling us from day one to day three, we had a water world. There was no dry dry ground. It was full of water everywhere. And by day three, God said, let it finally show up, let it become visible. It says, let dry ground appear. Now, because I'm not a physicist, I don't have a bachelor's in physicist or a PhD in astronomy like Hugh Ross, I think he brilliantly points out and teaches how science has progressed through the years to catch up to our Bible, and while what we once had as information we might have thought that supports evolution has since way progressed and supports more of the Bible, watch this as Hugh Ross breaks it down for you.
1: I was reading this when I was in my teenage years, and that was a time when geophysicists thought that the continents had always been here in virtually the same form that they are today. And I remember reading this, and saying, wow, this doesn't look at all like what Genesis teaches. But I also knew that this claim that the continents had always been here was not supported by any data. So I said, I wonder how this is gonna uh, play out as we actually learn more about the past history of the continental land masses. (coughs) Okay, that was when I was 17. At age 19, I eagerly signed up for a course that was taught by two of the three geophysicists that had launched the discipline of plate tectonics. And two of these geophysicists were explaining that this new discipline of plate tectonics implied that the continents uh, would get bigger and bigger as the Earth got older and older. And so I remember what they were teaching was that the continents started off small, and as plate tectonics, Uh, kicked in, the continents gradually covered more and more of the surface of the Earth. Now, I was curious too, does it really start off at say 7% like they were implying, or is it possible it's 0%? I remember asking one of the two professors, and he said, well, we think anything between 0 and 10 is reasonable. So I said, okay, this is looking a lot more like what Genesis 1 teaches than what I heard just two years ago. Well, let me move forward to the year 2000. The year 2000 is when geophysicists for the first time were able to come up with a detailed history of the buildup of the continental landmasses over the history of Earth. And uh, this is the graph that they produced. It's actually shown up in a number of textbooks and even books for the popularly public, making the point that indeed, planet Earth starts off as a water world And then with the initial plate tectonics, you get a few small volcanic islands. And then finally, the tectonics kicks in and builds up these cratons. That's a term for small continental landmass. But when the Earth is a little bit less than half of its present age, we see a very aggressive period of continental landmass buildup. Well, where does Genesis 1 put it? It puts it on the first part of creation day three. So you got these six days of creation and about halfway back, a little more than halfway back, the text tells us that's when uh, these continents uh, were built up and we get the same picture with this graph. In fact, this actually shows up in my book, Navigating Genesis. Okay, late March of this year, a breakthrough paper was published where they pointed out that oxygen plays a critical role and the buildup of the continental landmasses. It's the oxygenation of basaltic rocks that makes these lighter uh, rocks that float up and become continents. And they refer to what's called the great oxygenation event, uh, that there is an event uh, when the Earth was about 2.2 to 2.3 billion years old uh, where the oxygen jumped from 0.01% in the atmosphere up to about 2%. And it was that sudden jump in oxygen uh, that they pointed out would have caused also a sudden jump in the amount of continents that cover the Earth. And this is the graph that they had produced. And so what you see is that for about a billion years, Earth remains as a water world. And then plate tectonics kicks in, but you really don't get much continental buildup. It builds up to about one and a half to 2% of the surface area of the Earth. And then with the great oxygenation event, it jumps all the way up to 27%, and then for the last couple of billion years, it's been gradually increasing to its present 29%. I mean, what this graph really shows you is if you go from 1950 up to 2018, we see that advancing scientific discoveries give us greater and greater concordance with what Genesis 1 has been teaching for thousands of years.
0: Come on, isn't that brilliant? Come on, that's why he's a physicist. An astrophysicist, and he has a, a, a site called Reasons.org, or re, which stands for Reasons to Believe, where he supports through science the creation story as well as Christianity in general. I encourage you to check that out, and on that video, you saw that that's where you can watch more of what he has to say. Let's move on to day four. Genesis 1 says this, Now let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. He also made the stars. That's interesting. Didn't light show up in on day one? Here in day four, it's saying let let lights appear. And so, um, what is happening here is, first of all, God made the sun, moon, and the stars. God did not; uh, Je- Moses did not write in Genesis one. He made the moon and the sun, and I think he did it on purpose. He said he made a great light for the day and a soft light for the night. I think he did that because in their day, they already got human beings have always had a propensity to worship something, and there was already a belief in the sun god and the moon god. So he didn't give it a name he wanted to point out that is the created which paint points to a creator those things are not creators and I think that's kind of a, a brilliant little spiritual separation in fact the book of Job was written before Moses wrote Genesis the book of Job is our oldest biblical book And then the book of Job, it breaks down creation in more detail than Genesis 1 does. Job 9, verse 9 says, God made all the stars, the bear and the Orion, the Pleiades and the constellations of the southern sky. In other words, it's been called Orion a whole lot longer than astronomers tried to call it that. He put all of the lights in the sky to elicit worship and wonder. There's another scripture that says, don't take your wonder of the stars too far and worship them. Let them point you to an ultimate creator who put it in the stars. That's why I conclude, along with a a book that was written, it takes more faith to believe that the brilliance of the cosmos was created by some, evolved from some crazy accident than it does to believe that an almighty God placed all of them in the stars of the sky. You look at the brilliance of it, and to think it was all an accident takes more faith. That's why one apologetic writer wrote, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Because evolution takes more faith and leaps than creation and biblical accounts do. Now, speaking of awe and wonder, this might take me a little over. Can I I have three extra minutes today? Okay, I don't normally do this, and I normally get us out on time, but I want to show you one more brilliant teaching on this from Hugh Ross, who can break it down scientifically. Watch this next video.
1: Well, I want to finish up with what happened on creation day four, where it says, let there be lights in the sky. And it's referring to the time when the sun, moon, and stars first appear in the sky to creatures on the surface of the earth. Now, what happened with the oxygen... That little blip that you see over there, that's what's called the Great Oxygenation Event. But shortly after the Great Oxygenation Event, the oxygen dropped back down to below 1% and stayed that way until 575 million years ago. Then the oxygen made a sudden jump from less than 1% to 8%. And incidentally, that's exactly when you see the first animals. You can't have animals unless you have got at least 8% oxygen in the atmosphere. The moment you do, the animals are there. There's no time delay, they show up right away. But I actually wrote a blog article making a reference to a physics experiment where in the lab, they actually modeled what happens to the atmosphere when you go from 20 parts per million oxygen, which is what we had 580 million years ago, up to 210,000 parts oxygen, which is what we have today. But what I'm going to show you is what happens when you go from less than 1% oxygen up to 8% oxygen. Basically, the physics lab experiment said the more oxygen you have in the atmosphere, the less hazy the atmosphere becomes. Or to put it the other way, the less oxygen, the more hazy it is. Well, what I've done is to be able to duplicate the effect on the atmosphere through this photograph I took of Engineer Peak in Colorado. And so this would be kind of what the peak would look like when you only got 1% oxygen in the atmosphere. Then we gradually increase the oxygen, and you get to see that the haze gradually dissipates, continues to dissipate, and guess what, you get to see the moon, okay? So, initially, it was so hazy, you couldn't see the moon or the sun, and then you get to see the moon. And it's the visibility, the sun, moon, and stars, that allows the animals that God creates on creation day five to regulate their biological clocks. But again, if you want to read about this, you can access the uh, Reasons to Believe, New Reason to Believe article on June 18th that I wrote.
0: Awesome. I think that stuff is brilliant. By the way, this video is from 2018, so I went back to his reasons.org, and in June of 2018, you can find both of those articles if you want to do a deeper dive and see the science behind it. But it is all, in greater measure, supporting the creation story way more than the evolution story. So let's lean in. Day five, God created the fish and the birds. Day six, the first half of the day, God created the animals, and we're going to jump into the second half of day six in Genesis 1 on my final point it says then God said let us make human beings in our image to be like us so with the remainder of my time I want to answer what gives humans humanness what proof do we have that we did not evolve from apes well Two quick points I made last week that I'll reiterate today is, number one, every human being has uniquely had a propensity and desire to study or to... Connect with God We see it in no other animal we, we, we do not see the apes Getting together to collectively Worship the heavens or God We don't see it in jackals We don't see it in groundhogs We don't see it in spiders It is only human beings Who has a, a unique propensity For a God sized hole in our life If you study Neanderthals that That is you know what, what evolutionists Would say we evolved from from ape to monkey. If you study Neanderthals, every form of Neanderthal, they found no version of worship with it. And by the way, when you study Neanderthals, from their first showing up of fossils to their last showing up of fossils, which is a difference of 1.6 million years there is zero signs of evolution from the first show up to the last one. And if evolution is how we got here, don't you think a million, 1.6 million years is enough time to show some sort of greater capacity if we're going to turn in to the human beings we are today? Here's another point that I said last week. That time alone, the time for, for chance to accidentally get 200,000 amino acids that we possess in just one human cell. The time it took for the chances of that to happen would take 293.5 times the estimated age of the earth. The world is simply not old enough for that kind of radical chance to have happened and like turned into a functioning human being, much less an organic plant. So, um, I'm sorry, uh, uh, an organic plant, much less a human being. Here's some new things I'll add today. They asked mathematicians, what is the probability of one gene? So evolution believes that one gene has evolved into a sophisticated human being over chance and time. That is the evolutionary claim. By the way, you still haven't answered where the first gene came from. Because our laws say no li- life can't come from no life. So you still haven't answered where it comes from. Given your hypothesis from one gene to a sophisticated human being, what are the probabilities that that gene can turn into a human being in the 3.8 billion years that our science tells us uh, humans existed? And the answer was 10 to the 24 millionth power. That means you have to write a one followed by 24 million zeros Before you will get the probable chance that that one gene would evolve into the human beings we see today. To put it in context, he said it would be the same as winning the California lottery three million times consecutively in a row, buying only one ticket each time which one other mathematician said is the same probability of winning the California Lottery three million times in a row, buying zero tickets every time. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. It's. It's, it's mathematically impossible. The probabilities are not there for time and chance to simply just combine and to turn into something amazing. G.K. Chesterton is a Christian who, apologetic of, of the last era, who wrote amazing things debunking evolution, one of which I, I pulled because it's different from the others. By the way, he is the single reason that C.S. Lewis, who was an avid arguing atheist turned into a Christian reading G.K. Chesterton's arguments debunking evolution and here's what G.K. Chesterton said when he saw that there are discoveries of art by cavemen coming years back and we don't see signs of intentional art from any other creature on the planet. They might accidentally make a brilliant spider web. We don't see other spiders showing up to go. This feels post-impressionist and I see how it's a little bit better than Johnny, who created a spider web three generations ago. There's no collective appreciation of art in any other creature except for human beings. And this is what he wrote Monkeys did not begin pictures and men finished them. Pythoncanthropus, I butchered his name, I'm sure, did not draw a reindeer badly and Homo sapiens draw it well. The higher animals did not draw better and better portraits. The dog did not paint better in his best period than his early bad manner as a jackal. The wild horse was not an impressionist and a race horse, a post-impressionist. It exists nowhere in nature except in man. In other words... Every sane sort of history must begin with man as only man, a thing standing absolutely alone. Come on. This is proof. This is just one more argument why we didn't evolve. It reminds me of a joke I once heard. I thought about Boudreaux and Thibodeauifying the joke, but I'll just give it to you as I heard. One boy went to his father and asked the question, Dad, where do human beings come from? And Dad said, from monkey's. And so he went and he asked his mother, Mom, where do human beings come from? And his mother said, from Almighty God. And uh, uh, the boy looked confused, and the boy said, but Daddy said they came from apes. And, she, and Mom replied, oh, I thought we were talking about my side of the family. Come on. <laughs> okay. That's good. But it, all right, I don't care what y'all say. One last piece that hangs out there why humans have humanness is Darwin himself, the creator of evolution, wrote in his book that evolution is studies, Species of Origin, and the band's going to come join me. In 1859, in Species of Origin, he wrote this himself. If it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed, which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would absolutely break down. It's been 164 years of highly scrutinized research since that day to prove evolution, and we still have yet to find one creature that has migrated into a superior creature. Let me be clear I believe in microevolution. We have been able to help dogs who shed a lot through breeding and different kinds of things, shed less. We just have never been able to see a dog grow wings and fly into a brand new classification of animals. In other words, if you took this pale-skinned white guy and brought me to Africa, which I have done before, it is a hotter climate, it is, it is, it is hotter over there, this pale skin will micro-evolve into something tanner, and then ladies, watch out. But at no point does anybody in this room believe that if you keep me in Africa long enough, I'll turn into a superior God-like human being above any other human being. In other words, microevolution has been proven. Macroevolution, we have no scientific proof for. So with all that said, Darwin, we've had 164 years of testing your hypothesis plus all the years before it. And you yourself said that your hypothesis breaks down so anyway for those reasons this is why i believe that evolution is not real and i didn't have enough time to break it down into greater weight but i did give you resources if you want to dig into it more here's what we can conclude what does all this mean for us god did it and it was good genesis 1 According to Hugh Ross says, with all the science applied, it scores a perfect 10 out of 10, even in modern science today. In other words, when God says it was good, he did it, and it was good. And so what does it mean for you and I? It means you can have faith in your faith. It means you can trust your faith. Now, you may not get every question answered. I started with that. But we can trust the Word of God. There's more on that next week when I have my good buddy Ben Murray from Texas coming down. I've been to his church before and preached. He has a brilliant mind on his head. He is a gift to the body of Christ. And I hope you'll honor him and honor me by showing up and loving on him. And he's going to show how we absolutely know that the Bible is accurate, true, and you can build your life on it. And so whether we get time, enough time for science to answer all the questions we have in life or not, we know this to be true. We can stand on the Bible and we can trust, we can have faith in our faith. Amen? That's my goal for you today. Would you close your eyes and let me pray for you? If you would just turn your hands upwards and receive. Father, I pray that right now we move from logic to relationship that we would move from brain to heart and God I thank you for the brilliance of brains and for thinking minds and that you have thinking minds in the church and by no means do I want anybody with a thinking mind to think logic is bad but at some point logic runs out and faith is required Father, I pray in Jesus' name that today many answers were answered for people, that people's faiths were affirmed. For people who were skeptical, I pray that today many things have been solved. And if there are still questions, Father, I pray that you help them take the leap of faith because I know you're good. I know you love every person listening, and I know you want a relationship with them. And for that reason, I pray, God, that you would draw them close to Bless your people today in Jesus' name. And with every head still bowed, every eye still closed, if you're in this place and you're like, Pastor Drew, you answered my questions, or um, you haven't answered all of them, but you answered a lot, irregardless, I'm feeling like God's trying to touch my life. And, you know, oftentimes when we think about meeting God, we will think about the sin that keeps us separated from Him. And I want you to know that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, so that he could remove sin pay the price of your sin and my sin that all of our mistakes can be washed away and we can be washed white as snow and if you're in this place and you say today pastor drew i want to surrender whether for the first time or maybe you've done it before and you're coming back to him and you say i need to surrender again to the almighty creator and his son jesus christ with every head bowed every eye closed No one looking around. I won't call you forward. I won't embarrass you. But I don't want you to be embarrassed for just two seconds to throw your hand in the air and say, Today I surrender. I give my life to Him. Go ahead and throw it high into the air. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For anyone who's online and says, That's me too. Just write in the chat if you can. I'm in too. Include me. And our whole church is going to pray out loud with those of you today who are giving your life to Christ. Would everyone just repeat after me and believe it in your heart? Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I've made many mistakes. I have messed up. I know I've hurt you. Would you forgive me? I repent of my sins. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And when he died on that cross, he died to pay for my sins too. Wash away my sins. I receive a new start, and I'm forgiven because of what Jesus did for me. Be my Lord and Savior, and help me live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. And the church said amen and amen. Come on. Put your hands down.